Hello, uh, this is post, <laughs> this is editing Logan from uh, the Logan Blackwood show. And uh, we released our, pre our uh, World Cup squad prediction. And we talk about it in this episode of the Logan Blackwood show. And a major announcement just got made as I was in the editing process. And since I've recorded an entire show already, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to go and re-record an entire other episode. But apparently, Zach Steffen is getting left off the World Cup squad. Apparently. This is massive. Absolutely massive. Like, Zach Steffen has been... That's the guy. Zach Steffen's been the guy. So everything I say about Zach Steffen... And this just got reported, like, ten minutes ago. Like, this is... It's crazy. So everything I say, this is from Roger Gonzalez. The goalkeepers will be Horvath, Turner, and Johnson. So everything I th say throughout this episode, ignore it about John. Report, ignore it about Stefan. Ignore it about Stefan. This is shocking. If this, if this is true, if this is true, oh my god. So I just, just enjoy the episode. I wanted to give a little preview, quick minute thing because this shocked me. This shocked me. I couldn't go with an entire show and say that Stefan. I, I couldn't do it. So, I hope you enjoy the show. Hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Regardless of what I say about Stefan later. Alright. Enjoy the show. Like that. You want to Hello one and all and welcome it's to like this Wednesday best. edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Before we get into today's episode, let's go over the housekeeping items first. Make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, listen to right now, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram, you can find me at Blackman Logan or the show's Instagram account, The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search the Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you follow, like, subscribe, watch a few videos, click on a few blog posts as well. We'll have a blog post coming out for you on Friday. We've been doing a lot of stuff recently with the World Cup coming around. We got the squad announcement third Wednesday at 4 o'clock. It will go over United States men's national team stuff here in a little bit. So the, the blog post got pushed to Friday, which has just been a consistent theme this year. We might just keep it on Fridays just in general. But yeah, we, it got pushed to Friday. Had a meeting today, got a haircut. World Cup stuff, like, it's getting exciting for World Cup. It's getting really exciting, so college football got pushed to the back burner, and then, of course, again, make sure you follow Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're not sure if you're following or subscribed, exit this right now. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're following. Make sure you've left a rating on a five stars. It could be a one-star rating or a five-star rating, but just leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do, how you doing, keep it moving. Now, we talked about the World Cup, and I want to get to that in a little bit, but I feel like I have to start with this because this has been this has been uh, something that Bills Mafia has been dealing with all week, all week. And we didn't really touch on this on uh, on Monday's show. We didn't really touch on this. But Josh Allen, this is detrimental. This is detrimental. It's like ultra breaking news segment right now. Josh Allen has an elbow injury. For those of you who are unaware, the Bills lost to the Jets on Sunday. Lost twenty to seventeen. Ugly game. Terrible loss for the Buffalo Bills. Again, doesn't matter how good the Jets are. If you're a team with the aspirations the Bills have, you cannot lose to a team like the New York Jets. Don't care what the record is. Don't care what the New York Jets record is. If you're a team like the Bills, who are supposed to be this great football team, who are supposedly the best team in the NFL, 
You cannot lose like that against the New York Jets. Like you, fine, okay. Let's say the final score is 51-49. Then that's fine. At least you gave everything. You didn't play like shit. Like, I don't think the Jets played anything that great offensively, but the Bills just sucked. It was just terrible. <laughs> that game was worse than the Dolphins won. That one just pissed me off. I was so pissed off after that Bills-Jets game. And then as the week has gone on, the more and more I go, oh, uh, I'm a little more scared for the future and I'm do, like doing some sort of fake happy dance because I'm trying to convince myself it's going to be okay. Oh my God. So for those of you who do not know, we talked about it a little bit. Josh Allen hurt his elbow against the Jets. It was the third to last play of the game. Josh Allen was dropped back to pass. Jets D lineman, I didn't see who it was or I can't remember who it was, caught Josh's arm while he's on the follow through. And I guess he had a UCL injury, which is the, the tendon in your elbow, which he has had problems with in the past. His rookie year, he was playing the Houston Texans. He got hit on the elbow by a helmet. Different thing. He didn't get his arm caught, but you could tell instantly right after he threw the ball on that, or got right after he got strip sacked, he was grabbing his arm. It was like, okay. But then he uncorked the 70-yard bomb two plays later, and you're like, okay, maybe it wasn't that bad. But after analyzing it as much as I have, being a concerned Buffalo Bills fan, uh, I, I'm starting to feel like that was just pure adrenaline. And if anything, that could have made the situation worse with him uncorking a bomb that no one else in the NFL, barring maybe Patrick Mahomes, can make. Like, that's not... That's, uh, it's kind of concerning. It's kind of very concerning for the future of the season. Now, let's say... Where did my thing go? There it is. Sorry. Let's just say, hypothetically, Josh Allen is hurt bad. Or he's, he's kind of hurt. But if he plays, he'll prolong his injury and the Bills will lose him for the rest of the season. So if that means sitting him out for Sunday against the Minnesota Vikings, that's fine. All I care about is Josh Allen being 100% healthy and I do not want him to go out there and force something, put himself in a situation where the injury gets worse and he's forced to get Tommy John surgery and all that stuff. Because that's the type of injury, that elbow injury, that requires pitchers in baseball to get Tommy John surgery. Remember a few years ago, Ben Roethlisberger, though much older than Josh Allen at the time when he got hurt. Well, he still is. But Tommy John surgery. So I'm just hoping and praying it does not lead to that. But if him playing Sunday, if it's just one week, if it just one week avoids him from having Tommy John surgery, then I'm perfectly fine. I'm perfectly, perfectly, perfectly fine. Because Josh Allen, though he's played bad in the past five quarters of the season, against the last quarter against the Packers, last two quarters against the Packers, really, and then the whole game against the Jets, the Bills are a better team with Josh Allen than with not. And I've said this before on the show a thousand times. I think the Bills are truly the only team that if you take him out, they're a completely different team. Because I'm sorry, with how big he is, how fast he is, how far he can throw a football, there is no backup in the NFL that will be able to replicate what Josh Allen does at all, let alone be, being Case Keenum. And I, I have nothing but respect for Case Keenum. We bashed him on the show before, like back when we were freshmen in college, but I have really no issue with Case Keenum. But I would have felt a lot more easy about this situation had Mitch Trubisky still been the backup, which we knew he wasn't going to stay as the backup for the Buffalo Bills this season. He was going to be a starter, or at least attempt to be a starter after his one-year stint with the Bills. But that year, last year, was the only time I truly felt comfortable and comfortable, like, in the slight, like, very lightly comfortable with the situation. If Josh Allen gets hurt, we have a quarterback that can move, okay? He's a bigger dude. He's like 6'3", probably 220 pounds. He can move. 
He doesn't have the arm talent. He's a lot more erratic than Josh Allen is. He's a lot more frustrating than Josh Allen is. But, hey, he can do something similarly to Josh Allen where the offense doesn't need to change tenfold. I am terrified with this offense moving forward with Case Keenum. So if Josh Allen plays Sunday and he further extends his injury or worsens it, you're going to have to go to the whole season with Case Keenum and Matt Barkley as your quarterbacks. I'm a little concerned. I'm a little, little concerned. So Josh, and he's not going to listen to this, but hey Josh, if if there's any chance that you can avoid this game on Sunday to risk further injury down the line, then sit out. I don't care. I'm going to Buffalo with my dad and sister on November 20th. We're going to watch the Bills take on the Browns. I would be perfectly okay. It would stink. It would stink, but I'd be perfectly fine with Josh Allen sitting out that game than risking further injury. There's a tweet I'm looking at right now. I'd rather Josh Allen sit four to six weeks and try to momentum our way into the wild card Super Bowl rather than risk his health, risk the long-term health of his throwing arm. Yes. Long-term health is the goal here. And this had to happen on the season where the Bills are the overwhelming Super Bowl favorites to start the year. Josh Allen is the overwhelming MVP favorite to start the season. And then now this happens. Like, you look back, like, all the good times the Bills have had these past however many years, like, when the Bills started getting good again. The first year they got good, COVID. No one could go to any games. The next year, they have some very frustrating games. Win the division, though? You have some fun games against the Patriots in Buffalo. Or that, that playoff game in Buffalo was awesome. And then now this year. Like, but last year there wasn't really... The Bills went into the playoffs, I think, 11-6. and 12-5, and 11-6. I can't remember what the exact record was. But this year, we're starting off the season after two blowout wins against the two, the reigning Super Bowl champs and the number one seed from last year in the Tennessee Titans, two blowout wins, one on the road, and you're sitting there like, I don't know if they can lose a game. I look at the rest of their schedule, and I don't know what game they're going to lose. And I sure as hell didn't think it was going to be the Miami Dolphins and the New York Jets. I sure as hell didn't think that. Hell, before the season started, I thought the Bills would route the division. I didn't foresee them at all losing a single division game let alone to one of them being the Jets. I can, The Dolphins is a weird one because Josh Allen has dominated the Jets since his rookie year. Josh Allen had lost one time to the Miami Dolphins since his rookie year, and that was the first time he played the Dolphins. Since then, absolute blowouts every single time. But the Dolphins did get better this offseason. They added Taron Armstead. They added Raheem Mostert. Oh, they added Tyreek Hill as well. They added some good pieces this offseason. So I, I shouldn't have been that surprised, but the Jets, I don't care. They could have added anybody if you're the Bills with those aspirations, you can't lose to that team. I'm sorry. I know the Jets are 6-3. and three. I know they have a really good defensive front. I know Sauce Gardner is the leading Rookie of the Year candidate for the defensive side. Brees Hall was the Rookie of the Year before he tore his ACL in offense. Garrett Wilson's good. Like, they have pieces, but I don't care. I just don't care. But the overwhelming Super Bowl favorites, overwhelming MVP favorite, and now the season is hanging in the balance. And Josh Allen does this thing... So, if you're familiar with the Pat McAfee show, which I'm sure all of you are, if you're not, I'm sorry, he has this thing called Aaron Rodgers Tuesdays. Well, Kyle Brandt of Good Morning Football and NFL Network started a thing called Kyle, well, it's, it's been a thing, Kyle's Brandt's Basement, where Josh Allen would join on Tuesdays. And they delayed the episode to tomorrow. So, that's got Bill's Mafia even more scared than what they already were, because, whoa, is this a bad thing? This is a good thing. Like, it could very well be a good thing, but the fact that we just don't know is the scary part. No one knows what's going to happen with Josh Allen in his arm. 
No one knows his long-term health. No one knows what this means for the rest of the season, but it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Like, this team with Josh Allen is a thousand times better than without, but, but if he can avoid long-term health issues of his arm, send him out for however long it takes to get him healthy. He set up four weeks his rookie year, five of you include the bye week, but he didn't play for five weeks, I guess. But man, these next games are, they're, it's a very, very weird time for for the Buffalo Bills. Taking on the Minnesota Vikings this weekend. A Cleveland Browns team that has some talented pieces. You got the Lions. You got the Patriots. Like the Lions on Thanksgiving, hey, they just beat the Packers this week. I know the Packers aren't very good, but then you got the Dolphins, the Bears, Bengals. Like the the schedule, it's weird because I'm I'm looking at this through the eyes of Josh Allen playing. And if Josh Allen's playing, again, I'm going to sound cocky. I don't think they lose a game. I think they might lose to the Cincinnati Bengals, but you never know which Bengals team you're going to get from every given week. Like, you can have the Bengals team that played the Browns two weeks ago, or you can have the Bengals team that played the Panthers on Sunday. Two completely different teams. And Jamar Chase should be back and healthy by that point in the season, too. But with Case Keenum, I don't know. I don't know. Those next four games with the Vikings, Browns, Lions, and Patriots... Those are looking a lot more scary with Case Keenum in than with Josh Allen in. I, I, I'm nervous. I'm nervous, but I just want dude to be healthy. I just want dude to be healthy. And while we're on the topic of 2018 quarterbacks, I'm going to try and end it on Josh Allen right there because I don't want to really talk about it too long because I'm going to get, I'm going to get depressed. But sticking with the 2018 quarterback class, one of the greatest quarterback draft classes of all time, Lamar Jackson. I said this last night. So we were watching. I was with Jared and Andrew. We were eating pizza. We were watching the Rams, or the Rams, the Saints versus the Baltimore Ravens on Monday Night Football. Lamar Jackson doesn't get a snap from rookie Tyler Lindebaum, and he throws the football on the ground and starts yelling. I don't give a rat's ass about that at all. Anybody has a problem with that, I'm sorry. What What is the problem here? You have ultra-competitive people in an MVP, former MVP in Lamar Jackson, who's been the best player in the NFL is still continuously one of the best players in the NFL. And he loses his mind at a rookie. When you see what the Ravens have done this year in regards to blowing leads, not being able to hold on to leads, I understand where Lamar Jackson's frustrated. Players yell at players all the time, especially older players to rookies. you gotta, got to keep it in line. So the people who had a problem with that, I'm sorry. Screw you, really. We were watching the game last night. I was like, oh my God, that's going to be talked about all over ESPN, all over Fox Sports, isn't it? And I scroll on Twitter this morning, and there's Skip Bayless, there's Shannon Sharp, talking about Lamar Jackson freaking out, and Tyler Lindebaum and the offensive having to calm him down. I don't know why they just decided to point that part out, because two seconds later, after he's thrown the ball at the ground, he has his little moment as a competitive person. That happens in football. But after that, he taps Zeitler, he taps Lindebaum on the head. It's done. After about five seconds, it's done. He's frustrated on the sideline. I mean, Isaiah likely dropped an easy first down because you have two rookies having some rookie errors. Lamar Jackson, being the competitor that he is, is going to get frustrated. Ronnie Stanley calms him down. The Ravens go on to win the game. Lamar Jackson shows why he's Lamar Jackson throughout the course of the game. Now, if he wasn't Lamar Jackson, he was some, like, bum quarterback, then, yeah, we might have a little bit of an issue here. But this isn't a guy that's set around, done absolutely nothing his entire career. Dude's the second-ever unanimous MVP in NFL history. 
He's a competitive SOB. He wants to win. When the Ravens have lost games against the Dolphins, against the Bills, games that they should have won, really, and choked them away. Massive fourth quarter comeback against the Dolphins. Allowed the massive fourth quarter comeback. Bills came back from, I think, 20-3 deficit at halftime to win. Like, yeah, he's on edge a little bit, and he missed some throws throughout the game, so there is a little bit of Lamar that's frustrated at himself as well. There's a lot of different things that were coming out of Lamar on that play, but it's not a big deal. It literally ended after five seconds. Ball's not snapped in time. Throws it at the ground, yells, taps Zeitler and Linderbaum on the head. And it's over. It's over after that. Like, I saw a clip, and we'll get to this too, because it's kind of crazy. We've seen the clip of all over Twitter of Peyton Manning blowing up on Jeff Saturday. Like, that stuff happens. It happens in football. It's not a one-off thing like, oh my God, Lamar Jackson freaked out at him. I can't believe that, man, NFL players and ultra-competitive athletes should be a lot more well-behaved than that. No one's ever lost their mind before on the football field. That happens all the time. Happens all the time. Every single level of sport, doesn't matter if it's professional, amateur, or children, it's going to happen. It's just going to happen. And I'm sure Tyler Lindebaum and Kevin Zeidler really didn't care. They probably took it on the chin, moved on, because that's what adults do. People freaking out about this on social media, and people freaking out about it on ESPN and Fox Sports, it was over and done with <laughs> relatively quick. Now, I will say this. Lamar, I dig the hair. It's a lot better than what it, <laughs> what it had been over the past two years. I digged it last night. Lamar played great. Lamar Jackson showed again numerous times why he's Lamar Jackson and he's not normal. You saw him break out of uh, pass rushers. Like he had Cameron Jordan on his head and then Morgan Moses punched the ball out and he still launched the ball 50 yards down the field. That maybe should have been caught, barring a really good defensive play from, I think, Malcolm Jenkins. Like it was just a, like, yeah, let's calm down on that. If you have a problem with that, stop. <laughs> it's not a big deal at all. Honestly, it's not, a, it's just nothing. It just happens. Shit happens on a football field. I'm going to take an easy drink of an easy Eddie real quick. So don't freak out about that. And while we're on the topic of Jeff Saturday, good God, did, <laughs> we literally talked about this on Monday. We said, I'm honestly surprised Jim Irsay didn't fire Frank Reich after this game on Sunday with how bad the Colts looked against the Patriots. And then Monday, they fire, they fire <laughs> Frank Reich, but out of all the candidates... I was not really expecting Jeff Saturday to be the guy to take them over. And I'm not saying Jeff Saturday can't be a realistic option for the Indianapolis Colts or head coach, at least for the short term. That just came out of left field. That absolutely just came out of left field. I was not expecting that whatsoever. Well, I don't know who I would have been expecting, but this feels just like a Jim Irsay hire. Let's get the culture right. He's not going to, I highly doubt he's going to be the coach like next year. I highly doubt that. But for right now, we're going to get the culture right in Indianapolis. Then we're going to get a new head coach in this offseason. I don't know who they'd look at. Um, shot in the dark. Let's go with... Um, uh, trying to think of somebody with the Rams offensive coordinator. I don't know who's the current Rams offensive coordinator. It just seems like whoever's connected to Sean McVay is going to get a head coaching job somewhere. Like, Kevin O'Connell got one. You got Matt LaFleur getting one. Like, if you're connected to Sean McVay in any way, shape, or form, you're going to get a head coaching job at some point. Who's their office coordinator? 
Scrolling down, trying to find their coaching staff on Wikipedia. Liam Cohen. Oh, even better. He's 36. He's not even 40 yet. That's the new age of NFL players now. He was offensive coordinator at Kentucky. He was a quarterback's coach, assistant quarterback's coach with the Rams, offensive coordinator at Maine, pass game corner for a team that's going to be looking for a quarterback this offseason again for like the 18th year in a row. Uh, I think that Liam Cohen might be the guy. I don't know. That's a random, that's just a random pick. But Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday. That did, it didn't really strike me as not. I guess he was coaching high school football. I guess he was coaching high school football. But yeah, he was at Herbin Hebron Christian Academy down in Georgia. And now he's the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And I think it's funny, like when you go on Twitter, I don't know if he deleted the tweet, but his last tweet that he made was, uh, oh, I think he deleted the tweet because it was everywhere yesterday. Where is this at? Uh, come on. I want I want this tweet to still be here because that'd be hilarious. Regardless of what the tweet, what if I can find it or not, one of his last tweets pretty much stated the Raiders look horrible. Guess who the Colts are playing this week? The Raiders. And yes, the Raiders look horrible. And Josh McDaniels is going to come back to the place where he was the head coach for a day and a half. At least that's what it felt like. I don't know the exact time frame of when Josh McDaniels was the head coach. But man, Jeff Saturday. You benched Matt Ryan for Sam Ellinger. And Sam Ellinger is not really the issue right now. Sam Ellinger is playing uh, as good as what you'd probably expect him to play, to be 100% honest with you. But the O-line stinks. Jonathan Taylor is nowhere to be found. And it's just a really bad situation. The Colts are nowhere as good as what I thought they'd be. I thought, you know what? They got one of the highest paid offensive lines in the NFL. It's not the highest paid offensive line in the NFL. you got some decent weapons. you got Jonathan Taylor just led the NFL in rushing yards last year. I think in rushing touchdowns as well. I know he had 18 touchdowns rushing the ball. Michael Pittman's a good option out wide. You got Alec Pierce, I think, in the third round from Cincinnati. You have a good defense. You got Yannick Ngakwe from the Raiders. You have Darius Leonard or Shaq Leonard. Like, you have pieces. You have DeForest Buckner. And yet, this team reeks. And it's not even like a good, like, they're not even enjoyably bad. Enjoyably bad. Like, they're just bad for the sake of being bad. They're, they're terrible to watch. Terrible. And the Patriots destroyed them. So I'm not surprised at all that Jim Irsay pulled the plug on Frank Reich this early in this season. Even though I think that they said it's the first time he's ever pulled the plug this early in the season, like before the season's ended. That's the first time he's fired a coach midseason. But after how the Colts have been playing, I cannot sit here and say that I'm honestly surprised about the situation about the Indianapolis Colts fired Frank Reich this early. Like, it is... Yeah, it's it's been bad. Now, Frank Reich's going to have some suitors this offseason in regards to being an office coordinator somewhere. He ain't getting a head coaching job. He ain't getting a head coaching job. I don't know where he'll go to be a head co- or be an office coordinator slash quarterback coach. Maybe he'll go to the Rams. Maybe they'll trade Liam Cohen for <laughs> Frank Reich this offseason. But he's going to have options. I do always find it funny. Like, I've never – I've thought about this a couple times in the past. Like, has there ever been a situation where the owner's like, hey – you, we don't want you as our head coach anymore, but we want to move you to off to coordinator. Has there ever been a coach that has demoted to off to coordinator or defense coordinator for being a head coach? It's on the same team. Like I know you're getting fired and going out and getting a job somewhere else. But has that happened before? Has it? If it has, I think that'd be very interesting to see. Because what if they're like, man, Frank, we have no off to coordinator right now, <laughs> which I also find hilarious. Like. Remember when Matt Nagy fired Mark Helfridge a few years ago? It's like, what? What is Mark Helfridge doing? 
this is what we call a last-ditch attempt to try and save your job. You are the play caller. The offensive coordinator is... You're the offensive coordinator and the play caller. The offensive coordinator, by title, isn't really doing anything. So what? You're just trying to save face. Benching Matt Ryan was a sad attempt to save face. Benching Mitch Trubisky last year, or two years ago, was a sad attempt to save face. And it worked. Because then they drafted Justin Fields, tried to burn Justin Fields to the ground, and then... Um, the current situation came in and Justin Fields is playing awesome. Playing absolutely awesome. And I forgot about this until today because I've seen the, the graphic pop up again. Yeah, Justin Fields over these past two games, or since, when was the past three games, really? He looked fine against the the, the Cowboys, but against the, against the Patriots. So against the Patriots and the Dolphins, he looked really good. He looked really, really freaking good. So I think right now it's hard not to say he's the best quarterback out of the draft class. Trevor Lawrence looks fine at times. There's other times not. I think he's the most steady out of all of them. But I think if we're talking about peaks, I think Justin Fields has had the higher peak, highest peak out of the 2020 NFL draft or 2021 NFL draft class. I think Trevor's been the most consistent. We kind of know what we're getting from him every single time. We don't really get that with Fields. But the highs of Fields are higher than the current highs of Trevor Lawrence. At least that's how it seems right now. So I, I would like to redact my statement from, I think, Wednesday of last week or Friday. I don't remember what exactly it was. But uh, Justin Fields, number one. Because this past game against the Dolphins was insane. It was, re- it was really good. I'm sad they didn't come up with a win, but Justin Fields played awesome. He had set the record for most rushing yards in a single game by a quarterback, bringing Michael Vick's record. He has about 600 rushing yards this season. He's looking really good as a passer. He's actually trusting people, which is big. I'm all for it. I'm absolutely all for it. And I, I now, it is kind of funny, though. We talked about this on Monday that I did say I would take Justin Fields over C.J. Stroud on Friday, and you can listen back to Colin Company and hear me say that. And I stand by it. I stand by it. Now, we'll get, again, we'll get to the quarterback draft prospect rankings on Friday because we've had meetings. Again, we've had meetings, World Cup stuff's coming up. If this World Cup squad wasn't getting announced on Wednesday, then we would have had it because I had to get squad predictions out. And I, we talked about this on Monday. But, uh... I could not figure out a time when I wanted to do this. And when I woke up this morning, I was like, getting, I was getting all antsy. I was like, I got to post something now. I got to post something now. And I was honestly going to try and get my quarterback draft prospect rankings done. I have the list done. I need to get the reasoning done. The reasoning is the part that takes the longest. I can rank the, the 10 quarterbacks like that. It takes the, re- the reasoning takes about three hours to get done. If I just sit in one space and just do it for <laughs> that amount of time. It takes a while. Takes a freaking long time. So you gotta rewind the stuff. You gotta play it. You gotta pause it. You gotta sit there and like hyper analyze the situation, what the quarterback was looking at, at the time. Like it takes a lot of it takes a long ass time to get done. So forgive me if I delay it till Friday. I just got my mind's jumbled because of the World Cup. Because the US hasn't played in the World Cup since 2014. 2014. Like, let's look at if I can pull this up super fast. 2014 USMNT. Because the roster for this. Well, obviously, there's not going to be anybody on this current team that was on that 2014 squad. The only person that could have, you know, been close to making it is Brad Guzan. Because Brad Guzan is still currently playing in the MLS. I think he's hurt. He tears Achilles or something early in the season. I feel like there was something involved with that, but I can't really remember what it was. Yeah, Group G, the group of death for the United States. Oh, no, DeAndre Yedlin was on the team. Yeah, I forgot about that. I forgot about DeAndre Yedlin. He had four caps at the time. Dude is at, I think, 75. 
Yeah, 75 caps for DeAndre Yedlin. 29 years old. Crazy. Crazy. He's 20 at the 2014 World Cup. But here's the squad, and it it's kind of there's some good pieces here, but for most of it, it's not really that great. So Tim Howard, the greatest goal in the United States men's national team history. I know people are gonna say like Tony Miola, Casey Keller. Like there's a lot of good options. But to me, Tim Howard, after the the Minister of Defense game against Belgium, where I think he had 18 saved, one of the greatest games I've ever watched. Sadly, they came out on the wrong side of that. DeAndre Yedlin was a backup at this World Cup to Fabian Johnson when they brought Demarcus Beasley back to play left back. Fabian Johnson played right back. And uh, DeAndre Yedlin is the backup now to Sergio Dest. So we'll talk about the squad in a little bit. Omar Gonzalez, and we had Michael Bradley. You know my opinion on Michael Bradley. Matt Beasler, John Brooks, who sadly will not be making this squad, though he he should. He was 21 years old at the time, had four caps to his damn scored the game-winning goal against Ghana with a Graham Zuzzi cross in the box from a corner kick. We had Demarcus Beasley, 116 caps at the time. Then we had Clint Dempsey, who was the captain. My favorite player of all time. I think the greatest American soccer player of all time. And then these next two are kind of, uh, why'd they, why'd they, why are these two here? And if you know the numbers of the United States men's national team squad at the time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Aaron Johansson and Mixed Discarude. It is upsetting to know that Landon Donovan, the second greatest American soccer player of all time, who scored my the greatest moment of my life's goal against Algeria to send the United States to the, quarter, the round of 16 in the 2010 World Cup, is sitting at home because him and Jurgen had some beef and Landon Donovan really did <laughs> He's not really making any friends from that United States camp and just fans in general during the 2014 system. But mixed Discarude rocking the number 10, didn't play a single minute in the World Cup is upsetting. Aaron Johansson, he had eight caps at the time. How many did he finish with? He has 19. 19 caps and four goals. You know, when Josie Altador got hurt in the first game against Ghana after like 20-something minutes, he tore his hamstring. Not saying he was the greatest striker of all time, but good Lord, the striking options went down tenfold. Because Aaron Johansson and Chris Wondolowski had to try and figure it out. And Chris Wondolowski, who said this before, in regards to being an MLS player, he's one of the greatest goal scorers, if not the greatest goal scorer in MLS history. He, for just some reason, he could not get it together on the international stage. Could not do it, for whatever reason. But Aaron Johansson and Mixed Discarude, yeah, that was sad. That was sad. Then Alejandro Bedoya, fine player. Brad Guzan. Then we had Jermaine Jones, love Jermaine Jones, scored one of my favorite goals in World Cup history as well against Portugal in this game, in this tournament. Great goal. Sadly, the United States drew the game 2-2. Two two. Then we had Brad Davis, who followed me on Twitter for a while. I think it's his birthday today. Yeah, it's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Brad Davis. How old are you, Brad Davis? Brad Davis is 40 years old. And at the time, Brad Davis was 32. Brad Davis had a really good left foot. Brad Davis could cross the crap out of the ball. You had Brad Davis on the left to Graham Zuzzi on the right before Graham Zuzzi switched to being a right back for Sporting Kansas City. You were doing pretty well. You are doing well. Kyle Beckerman, fan favorite, had the dreadlocks. Was a defensive midfielder for the United States. We had Julian Green, who was supposed to was Christian Pulisic before Christian Pulisic, really. He was in the Bayern Munich Academy. Never really made it out of the Bayern Munich Academy. Had some stints that were good with Bayern Munich. And then he went on loan, and it just didn't work. And now he's at Gerther Führer. Firth? I don't know how to say German names. But he has 116 appearances for them, with 19 goals. That's just in the league. He has 123 in total for them. Made the ball was in the Bundesliga last year. They got promoted and then they got swiftly brought back down. He has 15 caps, has not been capped since 2018. He's been in the squad. He's been in and around the squad recently, but or not recently, but within like the past year and a half, he's been around the squad, but he's never played. And right now, Julian Green is 27. So yeah. 
that that didn't really work out. He scored a goal against Belgium, though. Scored a goal in extra time because Chris Wondolowski missed one, and he scored the win or scored the one that made it two to one. Then Josie Altador, probably the greatest American striker of all time, which isn't great because we talked about this before. Imagine having a striker for your national team. You're going into a tournament and you score one goal and thirty plus appearances. That's not really ideal. It's not really the most ideal situation. It doesn't fill you with the most confidence. So how, how athletic he was, and he was 24 at the time, which is crazy to think about. Crazy. He had 70 caps at 24. Crazy. Then he had Chris Wondolowski, Graham Zuzzi. He had 23 caps at the time. Played right, Plays right back now. Played right wing. Or The U.S. played more of a diamond at that time. Their starting lineup, if I remember correctly, I don't know if this was the opening game lineup, but the one they used quite a bit, it was Tim Howard and Nett. Johnson at right back, who was one of my favorite players in the United States history. Love, love Fabian Johnson. Then Omar Gonzalez and Matt Beasler at center back. Sometimes Jeff Cameron would be in there. It was like Jeff Cam- So Jeff Cameron's the next one on here. So Jeff Cameron would be in there. Matt Beasler would be in there. Matt, uh, Jeff Cameron rotated right back as well. You had Brad Evans from the Seattle Sounders who'd play right back for the United States a few times. But Fabian Johnson, once DeMarcus Beasley came into the fray, came out of retirement, I believe, who is one of the quickest players the United States has ever produced. Played left wing for most of his career, at least early on, and then switched to left back. So he was the left back at this tournament. So he had a back line of Tim Howard, Fabian Johnson, Gonzalez slash Jeff Cameron, Matt Beasler, and then Demarcus Beasley. And then you had Kyle Beckerman at holding midfield. I think Jeff Cameron rotated in there somewhat. And then on the wings, you had Rizzuzzi on the right. And then, well, where did Jones play? Did Jones play as a holding midfielder? Or Jones play on the, the, the quote-unquote wing areas, the outside of the diamond? Because Bradley played as the number 10 with Josie and Clint Dempsey up top. Jermaine, did he play as the number 6? That's not what he That's not what he was, but did he play there? So it was, so it was, okay, so it had to have been like, I know Beckerman started the first game. So it would have been like Jones- and then Bedoya and Zuzi on the wings, and Bradley, and then Dempsey and Altador. And the rest of the squad, Timothy Chandler, one of my least favorite players of all time. Nick Ramondo just got stuck in a weird situation behind Guzan and <laughs> Howard, and then Fabian Johnson. But I got to see that first game against Ghana because I believe Kyle Beckerman started that game, didn't he? So Jones would have been next to Zuzi? I'm trying to remember what that starting lineup looked like. Okay, yeah, it was Bedoya. Bedoya. Zuzi came on as a sub. So it was Beckerman as a holding midfielder with Jermaine Jones and Bedoya in midfield with Bradley as a 10 and then Altador and Dempsey. Because I was like, Jones wasn't a number six usually. And uh, Matt B- uh, Jeff Cameron started this game. Stat Matt Beasler started this game. Matt Beasler and uh, uh, Jeff Cameron started. Uh, John Brooks came in at halftime for Matt Beasler. And then once Altador got hurt, you guys had to switch their formation up, so then they switched to a four-three, a 4-2-3-1 with, Bedoy- with uh, Beckerman and Jones as two holding midfielders. Bradley in the middle, Dempsey up top, and Bedoya, Zuzi, Brad Davis, or Brad Evans. No, Brad Davis rotating on the wings with Cameron and Beasler. The back line's all the same as well. But yeah, it was. A, I felt bad for John Brooks because John Brooks, or I feel bad for John Brooks because he's one of the most, he's the best center back the United States has, really. And he's just not going to go to the World Cup. Whether he's he's just got some beef with Greg Berhalter. And there's a lot of players seemingly that have some beef with Greg Berhalter. And there's a lot of people right now that aren't really thrilled with the idea of what the United States squad is going to look like. I made my final prediction today. Post on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook so you can go check those out if you follow me there. Make sure you leave a like. I left some descriptions 
on the Twitter page for because I had to make some sense of it because I didn't post I didn't have a podcast out yet. I didn't have a podcast out. So when I sat there, I was like, oh, okay, I got I could post a squad, but I gotta post reasoning. I gotta post reasoning. So here is my final prediction for the 2022 FIFA World Cup. And it reads like this. So goalkeeper, we have Sean Johnson, Zach Steffen, and Matt Turner. In the original post, I had Ethan Horvath in there, but I ultimately switched over to Sean Johnson because of the fact that he's older. And I think in a squad where you're having a lot of youth and how young this, how insanely young this squad is, I believe it's the youngest squad going into the tournament. Sean Johnson, I think, is 34. He's around that age. He's 30 something years old, 32 to 34, somewhere in there. Let's see. Sean Johnson's third. Oh, okay. Somewhere in there. He's 33. <laughs> I think that provides a lot of experience in there. He's been really good for the MLS side of New York FC, New York City FC. Won an MLS Cups, the current captain of the squad. I think he brings a lot of experience. And the battle between Stefan and Turner is a weird one. I think most people out there would say Matt Turner should be the starter. But Greg Berhalter seems to have an affliction for Zach Steffen. So I wouldn't really be all that surprised if Zach Steffen ended up being the starter for the United States and World Cup. I, mean, I don't think that's a bad choice. I'm not sitting here and saying like it was Guzan versus Howard or anything. Like I think there's not. I don't think there's a clear number one because Zach Steffen has had some nice performances. I think Zach Steffen is what Greg Berhalter looks for as a goalkeeper more than Matt Turner. And Matt Turner has improved on some of those facets because Zach Steffen is a better ball player than Turner. And that was the big question of Matt Turner going into the Gold Cup in 2020 was can he distribute with his feet? Or 2021, whatever that Gold Cup was. 2021. Can he distribute? That was the big question. We know he can save goals. We know he can save shots. He can save penalties. He can do all that stuff. But can he distribute? Because that's a key thing in goalkeepers nowadays. Like, you look at the Spain squad. It's a prime example. David De Gea is the best Spanish goalkeeper. I know he hasn't played that well in the recent tournaments when he has been the starter. But you look at the Spanish... He's not even in the fray. He's not even in the conversation for Spain's number one spot. Let alone, not number one spot. That number one spot's Unai, Simon, Unai Simons for Athletic Bilbao. And that's been his spot since the last World Cup. Or the Euros, the Euros. Since Luis Enrique took over. That's his spot. And then behind him you have Robert Sanchez of Brighton and David Rea from Brentford. You really think a Brentford and Brighton goalkeeper are better than David De Gea? No, not really. But they can distribute more. In today's game, you have to be able to distribute. And that's where Zach Steffen has the upper hand. But that being said, while being a better distributor, you take a lot more risks. You feel more comfortable with your feet, so you're going to dribble out a few bit, a little bit more. You can make some odd pass. You get caught up position more. Like you're prone to the error, but if you're looking at what Greg Berhalter likes to do, you would lean towards Zach Steffen probably. And we haven't really seen a lot of squads with Turner and Steffen in since Turner's pushed himself to being one of the number one options. You haven't really seen the pair in squads together. So you don't even really know who Greg Berhalter prefers here, especially since Stefan's had a shit ton of injury problems. Like, you don't really see this. We haven't really seen the pair play. And when they have been on the same squad together, it's been in two matches. So you've seen Stefan in one and Turner in one. You can just never see them together. Rightly or wrongly. So no one really has a good grasp of what the number one option for the United States is. I think if you pulled fans out there, I bet 75% of them would say Turner should be the starter. But I do understand why Stefan would be the starter. He's been the captain on multiple occasions for the United States. He's better with his feet, is more error prone, but the better with his feet's big. 
Better with his feet's big. Especially with the United States, how they want to play, how Berhalter's wanting to play. I think Stefan fits that mold better, though I think Turner is the better overall goalkeeper than Zach Stefan. Then the back line, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine defenders. Because if you look at what Greg Berhalter's brought in his squads recently, he has brought three to four right backs every time. And the, the fourth right back can play left back, which is key here. And that's kind of the situation when England's doing. And we might have an England squad prediction at the end of this video as well. Or video, this podcast as well. Because I, I follow a lot. I've, I've followed the Premier League pretty much my entire life. So I like to have an idea that I have a general grasp around what England is going to call it for a squad. Because I, li I like watching England. England's fun to watch. Though I won't cheer for them in, the, in Qatar, obviously. But they're fun. They have some fun players, so we'll make a squad prediction for England as well. Just a little bonus thing. I'll get, I'll get that pulled up so I don't, <laughs> I don't forget about it. And it's this nice thing. So if you want to do this, I would highly recommend you do this. It is my World Cup squad. Search that on Google. And then click the very first one. And it says transfer market. Transfer marked. It's a German website. Transfer M-A-R-K-T. So you can go there. And on this, on this site, you can click through each national team. Go England, Brazil. Brazil's already released their squad. It's a pretty solid squad there. France, Portugal, United States, whatever. Wales. You can do all the squads. So if you want to go and create your own squad, you can go and do it there. And it's not going to change once you once the squad gets released because Brazil's released their squad and you can still use theirs. Still go through and do that. So I'd recommend doing that. But Burhalter likes choosing right backs. He likes the right backs. The United States, it's a little bit less <laughs> than England's choice of right backs. I don't think any of these guys would start for England. I think every one of England's right backs would start. But this is a they do have some good options at right back. And starting off, the main one is Sergio Dest. Sergio Dest is the starter. We all know that. For what he lacks defensively, he does track back pretty well. He can cross the ball well. He can take some shots, especially if he plays at life, left back. But we're bringing Joe Scaly for that to back up Anthony Robinson. I don't think there's really any surprise that Anthony Robinson is going to be the starting left back. He's been relatively unchallenged since he's been the United States, been on the United States roster. Like Sam Bynes has been in and around the team, who's hurt, so that I think that nailed on Joe Scaly's spot in the team. And then you have uh, George Bello, who's been around the team as well. But uh, yeah, I think Scaly will be the backup to Anthony Robinson, who's the fastest player on this team. Fastest player. And he's played well for Fulham in the Premier League this year. And then uh, DeAndre Yedlin, we brought him up before. Great athlete. Probably the one of the most naturally gifted athletes on the United States. And he's experienced. He's already played in the World Cup. He's the only one on this current roster out of the people I chose, that have played in a World Cup. Like, you need that. Regardless of what you think of DeAndre Yedlin, you need that in a squad like this. So, like with John Sean Johnson, bring him in. Like, just experience. DeAndre Yedlin has 75 caps. I don't care if he plays a single minute in the World Cup. You bring him on. And then the final person I've got here at the, at the, back, the wide back spots is Reggie Cannon. I think Reggie Cannon's the best defensive right back the United States has. And I think, though this is slim... I could see a reality where Greg Berhalter tries to implement somewhat of a back three and Reggie Cannon's in there. I really could see that. I'm not saying it will happen. I'm just saying I could see it happening. I wouldn't be surprised if I saw that happening. It'd look weird, but I think Reggie Cannon should go. I think Reggie Cannon's played really well for Boa Vista over in Portugal. He's just a very well-rounded back. His, his, he's pretty... I don't know. I wouldn't really say he's like elite defender. Like You look at Dest or you look at... Yedlin or Robinson, they're great going forward. At least Destin Robinson, they are great going forward. Cannon's an all-right defender. I'm not going to sit here and say Reggie Cannon's an elite defender, but he's a good defender. 
And that's what you need as a right back. And I think he's the one that provides something different out of the other right backs the United States has who are all good going forward. Now, for center back, I think this one's pretty much nailed on. I think they pr- uh, kind of leaked this one. And that's the center backs are Cameron Carter-Vickers, Aaron Long, Tim Ream, and Walker Zimmerman. I, it sounds like that's the, the group. And Chris Richards was going to be in there. But Chris Richards announced today, which no one was really, no one should have been surprised by this, but Chris Richards saying he's out for the World Cup. It's been well documented that he his recovery time has not been great. This is why the World Cup is such a shit time right now and why this World Cup sucks even more than what it already does is because this time is in the middle of the season. You don't have you don't have time to recover. You don't have time to do anything. Your season, you're in the season right now. Like you wouldn't believe it. We're like oh, two weeks away from the World Cup. <laughs> Which is insane to think about. There's been so little hype for this World Cup because we're just in the season. We're seeing Champions League stuff. We're seeing Premier League stuff. We're seeing League stuff. We're seeing Cup stuff. Like, World Cup stuff has not really come out. But once the World Cup starts, everybody will forget all of the bad things about this World Cup and go, oh my God, it's the World Cup. But the injuries thing is going to be hard, especially for a team like England, who's had a lot of injuries. The United States has a fair share of injuries as well. But Chris Richards missing out is big. I don't really think, though, I think Ream could start a couple games. Especially against England, having that partnership with Anthony Robinson at left back, Tim Ream, the left, left-footed center back. I think that's big for the United States. And he's experienced. Great. He's one of those players as well that Berhalter trust. He's one of those players that you consider Greg's guys. He's just a very trusting guy. You can trust him. He's a great ball distributor. He doesn't have the height that you're looking for as a natural center back. He's played left back a lot in his career as well. Mostly played left back. Moved into center back when he, the past couple of years at Fulham. But he's a good ball-playing center back, and that's what Greg Berhalter wants to play. Same thing with Carter Vickers, Greg, good ball-playing center back. Walker Zimmerman's more your traditional center back, and he's the guaranteed starter. Like, you look back at the 20, was it 19 Gold Cup? 2019 Gold Cup, I think, where you had a center back partnership of Aaron Long, Walker Zimmerman, and or Matt Miazga. Aaron Long was the only one that was the consistent starter there. And once Aaron Long's fitness regained, I don't think anybody should really be surprised that he's one of the locks to be in this squad. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that. He was the first ever captain of Greg Berhalter. I know he hasn't played great for New York Red Bulls recently. He's, his performances with the United States of late have not been great either. But Berhalter was always going to pick him. If he's healthy, he's going to pick him. Same thing goes for Walker Zimmerman, but I think Zimmerman's actually pretty good. I think he's a solid center back. But I think Ream could start against England. I think that's a, a realistic option, especially if the United States decide to play a back three. I know we brought up that thing with Reggie Cannon earlier, but I think if the United States is going to play a back three, we're looking at uh, Long, Zimmerman, and Ream with Anthony Robinson and Sergio Dest as wingbacks. I like that for me. I like the idea of Dest and Robinson as wingbacks. I like that idea. It makes me excited. But that's your back line or your defenders that I'm bringing for the United States. We're moving in the defensive midfield. It's, I mean, this one kind of picks itself. It's Tyler Adams and Kellen Acosta. No real explanation needed for that one. Tyler Adams is top two player in this United States men's national team. If you want to try and argue Tyler Adams not being a top two player, you can't say he's anything outside the top three. So he's one of the most important players, one of the favorites to be the captain for this squad. And then Kellen Acosta, I think also, is a fairly easy pick. Kellen Acosta is an absolute shithouse, and that's a good thing. That is a very good thing. He'll get into the mind of the opponent. He'll always try to rally, rally, rally what do you call that, rile shit up. And in soccer, you need that type of player. You absolutely need that type of player. For people making fun of soccer all the time about being a, a girl sport or a pussy sport or stuff like that, you need players like Kellen Acosta in that team who will just rile stuff up. 
And not only that, Kellen Acosta can play a multitude of different positions. Kellen Acosta can play as a number six. He can play as a number eight. If you need him to, he can play as number 10. He, can, he tried to play right back in the Gold Cup, gave up a penalty against Martinique. Not great. But his set-piece ability is amazing. He scored from a set-piece in the MLS Cup Final against Philadelphia. Granted, it did take a very generous deflection. But sometimes you need that. He did set up the game-winning goal for the United States against Mexico in the Gold Cup Final in 2021. To Miles Robinson, who would guarantee be in the squad if he wasn't hurt. But he tore his Achilles, so he's out for the tournament. Because sucks. That dude is awesome. Love watching Miles Robinson. But Count Acosta has to go. And I think he could start some games as well. I think he'd start as a number eight. I think he'd start next to Weston McKinney at some portions of the game. Now, I don't think he will for the start of the tournament. I think the United States starting midfield is Weston McKinney and Jonas Musa. I think those two kind of pick themselves as well. Musa, very good engine, runs all over the place. And McKinney is an elite box-to-box midfielder. Can also push up forward as well. Has a goal in him as well. Love Weston McKinney. Top three player on the United States men's national team. I think everybody's well aware of the top three players in the United States are Pulisic, Adams, and McKinney in no particular order. Surprise, surprise, Christian Pulisic makes the squad. So he's in there. And then for the final midfielders, uh, Malik Tillman, I have him in there from Rangers. He's just had a great season for Rangers. Very exciting player. He's had the some off performances. He can play on the wing if need be, but he's more of a natural midfielder, which he's. I just think he's really good. He's very athletic, and I think he's kind of been one of those players where Jeez, sorry. His inclusion kind of been leaked. I think I saw that the other day, but we already had him in the squad. And the final midfield spot is uh, an interesting one because I haven't heard anything. The more and more I try to search this, I can't find anything. It's about Luca De La Torre. Luca De La Torre is guaranteed to go if he's healthy. Though he hasn't played a lot this season for Celta Vigo's performances, World Cup qualifying, get him a spot in this plane. The problem is he has a hamstring injury, and his timetable to return is around the time of the start of the World Cup. The thing that helps him out, though, is the United States does not have a whole lot of other options outside of him for that last midfielder spot. I do think if he doesn't go, it will be Christian Roldan. So I had a slash Christian Roldan, just depending on De La Torre's health. If he can't go, I would very much imagine Christian Roldan will go. Because Christian Roldan, we've talked about this before, is one of those players that comes in and sees out a game. He's not going to force anything. He's going to see out a game. He's not going to do anything special. He's not going to do anything special whatsoever for the United States. He does really good things for Seattle, but... For the United States, doesn't do anything special. He just wins you, helps see out a game. And you need those types of players from time to time. But if De La Torre can go, Roldan won't make it. That's just how I see it. And then for the forwards, I saw this today. I saw this today, actually right before I posted this. And I changed it <laughs> because I wanted to make it as accurate as possible. Paul Riola doesn't look like he's going to make the World Cup. He is injured, and he's been passing away from the squad. If he wasn't battling some injuries, there's no doubt in my mind he would have made the squad. No doubt in my freaking mind that Paul Ariola would make this World Cup squad. Like, if you look at... If you want a picture, if you just look in the dictionary for Greg's guys, that's Paul Ariola. Paul Ariola is Greg's guy. Every single squad, every big-time tournament, Paul Ariola is there, and he starts a lot of games for the United States as well. Plays on the right wing, is a traditional winger, but he's battling some injuries. So we only have two right wingers, and that's Giovanni Reina and Tim Weah. And I think those two will be competing for a starting job every single game. And I think it'll just depend on the matchup. Because Giovanni Reina is not a natural winger. He's a natural midfielder. He's a he's the biggest dude on the front line for the United States if he does start. Wait, we already know who the starting striker and starting left winger will be. At least that's what we think we know. But we'll talk about those two in a little bit. Reina's a big dude. Reina is a central midfielder. Be allowed to more drift around a little bit more than Weah will. Weah is a natural winger. Though, that being said, 
He is a former striker, so he has a nose for goal as well. He's more athletic than Reyna in regards to straight line speed. Like He's more direct than Giovanni Reyna is, but I think they provide a lot of really good things to the team. And Weah, he was the player of the mat, player of the like the last few World Cup qualifying games. Tim Weah was the best player on the field. So I think Weah goes in the tournament as the starting right winger, but I think Reyna comes in and plays every game in the tournament, regardless if he starts or not. And then the strikers, I, this one's kind of been confirmed as well, which I'm not surprised at at all by this inclusion because two player. Or, so we had in the last squad, we had Ferreira, who I think is going to be the starter. I think that one's pretty much nailed on, regardless of what you want to happen. Looks like he's going to be the starter. Sargent who's just been playing out of his mind for North City, and then Ricardo Pepe. In the last squad that we had, we had Jordan Pifak, who was leading the line for the top team in the Bundesliga in Union Berlin. He still is, but he's battled some injuries recently, and in that time frame since he's been hurt, Ricardo Pepe's gone nuclear. Like he's scoring goals left, right, and center. He needed that confidence boost getting back into the squad. Like Tim Weah had that same thing. Tim Weah was out of the United States men's national team fray for a while, and he got brought back in as a super sub, and then now he's in line to start the first game against Wales in the World Cup. Ricardo Pepe hadn't scored a goal in over a year. And then I called in the last squad. And now I think the mindset of people back then versus now are completely different. I think most people now are not upset that Ricardo Pepe's making the squad. Because you look at what PFOC was doing. You look at what Sargent was doing. Yeah, they needed to make it. There's no argument for Ferreira. Regardless of what you think, he's going in. There was a battle between the final three spots, final two spots, between PFOC, Pepe, and Sargent. It was a battle between those three. And as the, the, as the qualifying went on, or not the qualifying, but as we got close to the World Cup, Pepe started playing better. Sargent continued. He battled some injuries as well, but PFOC, who was already on the outside looking in after that September call-up thing with Pepe and Sargent in it, then with Pepe playing well, then that kind of cemented his fate, and those three will be the strikers for the World Cup, I'd imagine. And then left wing, we have Brendan Aronson, Jordan Morris, and Christian Pulisic. Morris is taking the spot of Paul Ariola. And Morris, I don't I don't really mind Morris. I don't think he's an amazing player. But I think he's a different style player than uh, Brendan, uh, Paul Ariola. And I think he'll, be, he'll definitely come off the bench. He'll definitely come off the bench. But he is the type of player where he'll be brought on to provide some speed and a potential goal-scoring threat from the left wing side. So Brendan Aronson, I think, could float around between right wing, center midfield, and left wing. He can play everywhere, pretty much. He can even play as a number nine, really, or a false nine or something, if need be. But he'll come into the games. Brendan Aronson will play every single game. Same thing with Paul Riola. It doesn't matter if he's starting or not. He will play every single game. But Jordan Morris will only come in if the United States need a goal. And his goal-scoring rate for the United States isn't, like, the greatest thing of all time, but it's a better goal-scoring. He has that threat in him more than some of the other players that they have. At least like with Ariel. Ariel's not a goal-scoring threat, even though their goal-scoring rate for the United States men's national team is about the same. You look at what they do in the MLS. Jordan Morris cutting into that left side provides that shot. Ariel does have a decent amount of goals to his name. I'm not I'm not discrediting Paul Ariel at all. But that left that right-footed left winger, that would be that's what he's gonna probably bring. I think that'd be used as a super sub at some point throughout the tournament. I don't know how many subs they're gonna allow in the tournament. They allow five. I think they might allow five which I'm a fan of to a certain extent. So I think the opening game starting lineup, if I had to go with my gut, I would probably lean towards Stefan starting, just what Greg Berhalter will do. Not necessarily what I would do, because again, I think Turner should start. But I think Stefan will start, Dest at right back. We have a center back partnership of Zimmerman and Long with Anthony Robinson at left back. Tyler Adams is the holding midfielder with McKinney and Musa in front of him with a front line of Tim Weah, Jesus Ferreira, and Christian Pulisic. 
That's your starting lineup to me for the opening game in the World Cup. I could be wrong about that. I think there's a good shot Tim Ream starts. No, there's not. No, not not at least first. Because Greg Berhalter likes that center back partnership. He's getting them ready for the World Cup. He's played them together quite a bit recently. His preferred center back partnership is Zimmerman and Long. If I had to pick someone that could start, I think Reyna's the most likely to start out of the backups. Matt Turner, too. I'm like 50-50 on Turner and Stefan. My head says, my gut wants me to go with Matt Turner. My head's like, Berhalter's going to pick Stefan. And people are going to be upset about that. People are going to be upset about it. I really don't have a problem with Zach Stefan. I really don't have a problem with it. The goalkeeping situation is a lot more open than what it was in 2014. Because we all knew Tim Howard was going to be the guy. Tim Howard was the guy. We all knew that. But now we sit here as like, could it be Stefan? Could it be Turner? Could it be Stefan? Fans, Turner. Coach, Stefan. So, interesting. But yeah, that's my squad. And recap, here is the United States men's national team that I think Greg Berhalter will bring to the 2022 World Cup. Again, the squad gets announced at 4 o'clock on ESPN2 tomorrow, or Wednesday, for you guys. So today. So the lineup is a goal. We have Sean Johnson, Zach Stefan, and Matt Turner. This is an alphabetical order. And the defensive area, we have Reggie Cannon, Serginho Dest, Joe Scaley, DeAndre Yedlin at right back, Cameron Carter-Vickers at center back, Aaron Long, Tim Ream and Walker Zimmerman. I feel really bad for Mark McKenzie for missing the squad. He's played really well for Genk this season. Then Antti Robinson at left back. So that's your defenders. Midfield, we have Tyler Adams. Or Kyle Nacosta. We're going to go back in alphabetical order. Kyle Nacosta, Tyler Adams, either Luca De La Torre or, Tim, or Anthony Roldan. Jeez, Kristen Roldan. If De La Torre can go and is healthy, he's going. I think what's nice here, they're both going to probably wear number 14. So that's, that works out pretty well. And then uh, we got Weston McKinney, Jonas Musa, and Malik Tillman. Center midfielders. Right wing, we got Tim Rea. Jeez, combine them. Giovanni Reyna and Tim Wea. Striker, we got J- Jesus Ferreira, Ricardo Pepe, and Josh Sargent. On the left wing, we got Brendan Aronson, Jordan Morris, and Christian Pulisic. I'm not sitting here and saying that's a squad that I would 100% take, but my job here is not to say what squad I would take. My job here is to say what I think Greg Berhalter will do. And I think Greg Berhalter will start Stefan in that, which is... However you want to view that, that's what I think he will do. That's what I think he will do. And I'm cool with it either way. Because I'm going in this tournament, the first tournament I have watched the United States be in, the first World Cup I've seen in the United States since 2014. I'll never forget that night at William Penn when the United States lost to Trinidad and Tobago, called my dad and I bitched at him for about 40 minutes to an hour. And then I went on the Logan Blackman show at the time, which is a completely different show to what it is now, at William Penn. It's nowhere to be found. It was a live radio show at the time. Before they started getting the podcast situation down. And uh, <laughs> I had a little bit of a mental breakdown on the on the show. It sucked. It sucked. And we're going to try and do... I'm not going to have a live stream or anything. But we're going to have a squad reaction. So I'll post it in the podcast. I'll record something while I'm watching the squad get announced. We'll go over what the, original, what the squad we thought would go versus the squad that actually got announced. I would like to think that the squad that I predict is a little is pretty accurate. It's pretty accurate. I hope it is anyways, because that's what I want to be. I want to be accurate more than anything else. So I, I hope that's right. I think it's right. Based off the information I have gathered, I think it's right. But, yeah, that's my predicted squad for the 2022 World Cup. And now that we said that, let's make a let's make an England squad. Let's make a team the United States will play on Black Friday this year in the tournament. So, I want to edit my team. Can I restart this? 
I don't want to. I want to go through again and click through. I I did this already, so I've got to. <laughs> I've got to clear out my selections. Hopefully, I've got everybody. It's a, it's just a fun thing. So go to transfermarkmarked.com, and you can go through and pick the players you think will be for the United States and for England or whoever in the World Cup. So here is my my team for England. The team that I think I don't. I'll, I'll release the starting lineup here in a little bit as well. So in net. Jordan Pickford's the number one. He hasn't done anything to lose the job. He's played in the four, he's played really really well for Everton this season, regardless of what you think in regard, regards to his shakiness in the past. He's played very very well. He's gone to England as the number one starter past two tournaments in a tournament where they went to the semifinal, lost Croatia, and the tournament where they went to the final, saved a penalty in both tournaments, which is big. So Jordan Pickford's the guaranteed number one. Aaron Ramsdale's number two, and Nick Pope number three. Nick Pope is the easily the worst with his feet. Which is why he's going to be number three. He might be the most naturally gifted goalkeeper out of this in regards to shot stopping, which is very important as a goalkeeper. But as a distribution, worse by far. I think if you're wanting to have that option, I think he'd bring Dean Henderson, who's played well for Nottingham Horse this year, though he's given up a lot of goals recently because their defense is shite. But Nick Post played very, very well for Newcastle United this season, and I think he deserves to go. And then Aaron Ramsdale is going to be Jordan Pickford's backup because he's the next best distributor on the team. He's played well for Arsenal this year. And... Uh, Hopefully, Matt Turner displaces him. He won't because Matt Turner, is, that's the problem here. Matt Turner is not great with his feet. Though he's gotten better, he's not great with his feet. But he did come along a lot later than a lot of other goalkeepers. Now, for the defensive side of things, let's go with right backs first. Go right back, center back, left back, like we do in the United States. So, regard if he's healthy, I think he should go to the World Cup regardless. That's, that's Kyle Walker. Kyle Walker, I think, is the most important defender England have because he can play as a center back. They play him as a back, the right side center back a lot. In these past tournaments, so he plays right back fastest. His recovery speed's insane. Uh, Reese James would be on there as well, but he can't even really walk, so he, I don't think he's going to go. But following Kyle Walker, it's Kieran Trippier, who has been insane for Newcastle United. He's their captain. I know he's not technically their captain. Jamal Lascelles is the captain still, but Lascelles is in and out of the team. Trippier's the captain when he's not in. Trippier's playing awesome. Trippier is probably the most informed right back England has right now. You see what he did over at Atletico Madrid. You see what he does is doing now with with Newcastle United. He's playing awesome. Absolutely playing awesome. And then Trent Alexander-Arnold, regardless of what you think about his defensive abilities this year, he's going to go. I don't think that if Reese James was healthy, he would go, which is a shame because Trent Alexander-Arnold is the most the best attacker out of these ones. And he's easily got the best right foot out of every single player that England can have. I think it's between him and James Ward-Prowse. But... It's it's uncanny. Like, it's insane. It's absolutely insane what he can do with his left, his right foot from corners, from set pieces, whatever. He should go. But he, I don't think he would have gone had Reese James been healthy. And I think you could say the same for Ben Chilwell as well. But move on to the center backs. John Stones is one of the guaranteed starters. And for whatever you think about this guy, Harry Maguire is another guaranteed starter. He just is. And then with their other one of their final center other center back spots, I think they'll bring four. Or no, five. They'll bring five because I'll talk about one of them. It's four to five. Uh, Eric Dyer will be on the team as well. Eric Dyer's played really well for Tottenham. He's playing that middle center back in the back three. He's playing well. He's playing well. He's a very limited player, but he's playing well. And then Connor Cody, I think, will also go. In regards to team morale, which is something Garrett Southgate really holds near and dear to his heart, Connor Cody's going to go. Again, regardless of what you think about Connor Cody, he's played well for Everton this season. He's captain. I don't think he'll play a single minute in this tournament. But for squad morale, I think he'll be in. And then maybe a surprise one. Maybe not. 
Ben White, who's played really, really well for Arsenal this season. They're leading the table. They're top of the Premier League, playing really well. He's playing right back right now. But his versatility can allow, let's say they play in a back four. If they play in a back four and Kyle Walker's can't go, Kyle Walker can't go, and let's say Luke Shaw, who's also going to go because he's the only left back available, <laughs> really, then Ben White can play right back. Ben White can play center back. And I think that versatility with Ben White allows the versatility of Kieran Trippier, who can also play left back. So with Ben Chilwell out, I don't think if Ben Chilwell was in, I don't think Ben White would go. But I think with Ben with uh, Ben Chilwell being out, that opens up. Well, we don't have any other left backs who can play left back Trippier. So that opens up a door for a possibly another right back, and that's Ben White who's playing really well for Arsenal. So that's my my defenders for England. Now looking at attackers slash strikers, this is what they so transfer marked has got it: goalkeepers, defenders, midfielders, strikers. Midfielder strikers in one thing, regardless if they're <laughs> similar or not. Uh, start with defensive midfield spots. Uh, Declan Rice, he'll go. Declan Rice will go. He's the first, one of the first names on the team sheet. Same thing with Jude Bellingham. Those two are going to start for England. They have to. There are no doubters. There are no doubters in regards to the midfield spots. And then, might as well, while we're on the topic, we're going to go Mason Mount. Mason Mount, same thing. No doubter he's going to start. We're just going to talk about midfielders first. Mason Mount can play on the wing, but you look at what England did in the Euros, Mason Mount, they played him as a number 10, which is more natural position. But, uh... Yeah, Mason Mount will go. And then this one might upset some people, but I think Calvin Phillips will go. Calvin, Phil- Calvin Phillips is battling some injuries right now, but uh, I think he'll be able to be fit enough because he started every single game of the Euros. At least I, I remember he started every single game of the Euros. So we're going to have Calvin Phillips in regardless if he's healthy or not. He's going to go in. And then Jordan Henderson, I think same thing. Leader, absolute great leader. That's what you're looking for with England. He's kind of a similar thing to Connor Cody. I don't know how much he'll play. But he's the vice captain of England. So I would bring him just regardless. He's not playing great right now. His legs look gone, but he's got to go. And now moving up up top, there's three names, like we said with the midfielders, that are guaranteed. And that's Harry Kane, Phil Foden, Raheem Sterling. He might even throw Bakaya Saka in there as well. So there's four players I think are guaranteed for England up top. Harry Kane's the captain. He's, he's the striker. He's the captain. Lead the line for England. He's going to go. Phil Foden, Raheem Sterling. Raheem Sterling's probably the second most important player on England. At least that's how it looks the past few tournaments. Phil Foden's the most talented player they have. Bakayo Saka has played insane for Arsenal this season and last year. Guaranteed to be on the plane. And then this is where we get a little difficult. So we are at 21 of 26 players. I think for the backup striker position, we are looking at Tammy Abraham, who's played well for Roma. He hasn't played as well as what he did last year, but he's still playing well enough, I think, to deserve a spot. I think Ivan Tony would be. We obviously know the situation with Ivan Tony. If you don't, he's had some legal issues recently. Just look him up if you want to. And I think Marcus Rashford. Rashford's been playing really well up top for Mar- Manchester United this season. I think he has to go. I think that option of having him off the bench regards to as a winger or as a striker, I think his speed is uncanny. I think you have to bring him to the World Cup. And then I think we got Jack Grealish. I think he'll go regardless of what you think of Jack Grealish and how he's playing at City right now. I think he has to go. Just his versatility. He can change a game. He's not going to beat anybody, but his technical ability is second to none. I think he'll go and for the final two spots. I think it'll be James Ward-Prowse and Mason Mount. Mason Mount's played insane for Leicester City this season. And James Ward-Prowse, the captain, one of the best set-piece takers, not just in England, but in the in the world, will have to go to the World Cup. I don't know how much he'll play, but I think he's going to be a realistic option to come off the bench for England. So that is my 2022 England World Cup squad. With a squad value, and this is what's fun about Transfer Marked, so you could go on there and see player values. The squad value is $1.29 billion, or pounds, euros, euros, euros. <laughs> Which I don't know how that translates to dollars, but 
That is my England squad. We'll repeat it again in goal. We have Jordan Pickford, Aaron Ramsdale, and Nick Pope. The defenders, we have Trent Alexander-Arnold, Ben White, Kyle Walker, Harry Maguire, Luke Shaw, John Stones, Eric Dyer, Kieran Trippier, and Connor Cody. Midfielders and strikers, we have Harry Kane, Phil Foden, Jude Bellingham, Declan Rice, Mason Mount, Raheem Sterling, who's not playing great for Chelsea right now, but he's going to go. Uh, Jack Grealish, Bukayo Saka, Marcus Rashford, Calvin Phillips, James Ward-Prowse, Jordan Henderson, James Madison, and Tammy Abraham. That is my England starting 11. I'm going to screenshot that. Or starting 11. That's my squad for England. And then when we're looking at the, the um, what do you call it? The starting 11. I think England's going to play with the back three or back five, however you want to look at it. That's just what they do. Depending on whether or not, I guess, Kyle Walker's healthy or not, because that might change things. If Kyle Walker's healthy, then we'll see him in a back line or back three. If he's not, then we'll see probably a back four. But I, could, I guess I could see a back three with Eric Dyer in the middle. But I think we've got Pickford and net. We've got Kieran Trippier as a wing back. We've got Kyle Walker as a right center back. With John Stones in the middle, Harry Maguire at left, and then Luke Shaw on the left side, on the left back spot. But we might see Kieran Trippier. I think Kieran Trippier is going to start regardless. But we might see John Stones on the right, Dyer in the middle with uh, Harry Maguire on the left. Or we just see a back four of Trippier, Stones, Maguire, Luke Shaw. And then in midfield, it's Bellingham and Rice. Bellingham and Rice, those are the two you're going to have in midfield. Nice balance there. Bellingham can push forward a little bit more. Rice can be more defensively sound. I know he's playing more as a number eight for West Ham right now, but I think he has the abilities to play as a deeper player and allow Bellingham to push forward a little bit more. I'm not saying Bellingham's going to fly forward every single time he gets <laughs> England goes on the attack, but I think they'll have nice balance there. I think they're two very intelligent players that could work well with each other. And then up top, we've got Harry Kane as a striker, and we've got Raheem Sterling and Phil Foden starting as well. So that's my England starting 11. Harry Crane, obviously the captain. So you got Jordan Pickford, Trippier, Walker, Stones, Maguire, Shaw, Rice, Bellingham, Foden, Kane, Sterling. That's my England starting lineup with Kane as a captain. I think uh, for the United States, I think I want Burhalter to nail down a captain, but he won't. He just won't. It's just between Pulisic and Tyler Adams. So I think those two will probably rotate the entire tournament just because that's what we've seen in the past. Never once nailed down a captain, and I think the the two offer completely different styles. I think Pool Six more of a uh, follow me. I'll I'll step up. I'll take the penalties. I'll pee the pressure. I want all the attention on me. I'll bring. I'll bear all the negativity as the captain. I think Tyler Adams is more of a vocal leader than Pool Six. Pool Six more of a um, what do you call it? I don't know. He he just wants to go out and do it. He's not. He I don't know. They're they're both good. They both are good captains in their own right. But yeah, those are my England and United States squads. Now let's look at Brazil squad because I feel like this is something we have to talk about here because they're the first team to announce the squad. So here's we got Brazil. We got Allison, Weverton, and Ederson. That's been their three goalies for the past however many tournaments it feels like. And they'll rotate Allison and Ederson. Ederson started a few games towards the latter stages of Copa America last year or two years ago, however long that ago that was when Messi won it, when Argentina won it. And Weverton's just the number three. They'll rotate between Allison and Ederson. It's kind of a situation like Iker Casillas and Victor Valdez. <laughs> you know, you got the one of the top three goalies in the world. The only problem is the guy who's in front of you is top three goalie in the world as well. <laughs> and the defensive areas, they got Danilo, Thiago Silva, Marquinhos, Alex Sandro, Dani Alves, which I'm very excited they brought Dani Alves back. Eder Militao from Real Madrid. Alex Tellez and Brenner, Bremer sorry, from Juventus. So you got Alex Tellez and uh, Alex Sandro as left backs, which, I don't know. 
Alex Tellez is a weird one, but he's been in and around the squad recently. He's been in and around the squad recently. He's on loan at Sevilla for Manchester United. Love that Donny Olivas is in there. And Danilo, he can play left back as well, I guess. So that, that gives you the option there. But the center backs, yeah, no real surprise there for center backs. Uh, midfield, we have uh, Casemiro, Lucas Paqueta, Fred Fabinho, Bruno Gamares, and Everton Ribeiro plays for Flamengo. We got two, we got three players on this Brazilian national team play in Brazil, which Brazil always does like a really good job at bringing players from their, you know, that playing in the country that not a lot of people really know about to the World Cup. Like they brought, like Gabby Barbosa was in the fray as well. You've got, and he left out players like Roberto Firmino, which was big. So I, I give him credit. I give him credit for bringing players like that for Pedro and Everton Ribeiro, both play for Flamengo. And then you got Weverton who plays for Palmeiras. So, like that. No real surprises in midfield. I guess you could say maybe, like, Philippe Coutinho is hard done by but not making the squad, but not, not, I'm not really surprised by that, but especially with how the way Aston Villa are playing. I know they beat Manchester United 3-1 this past weekend, but I'm not really surprised by anybody in there. It is going to be funny, though, with Casemiro and Fred starting in midfield with Bruno Gamares, who is better than, better, better than Fred by a while, by a lot. But, uh, yeah, Brazil's kind of been recently playing, like, a 4-2-4 formation, and it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun, but they can also play a 4-2-3-1 with Neymar sitting in the middle. Yeah, Neymar made the squad surprising. But then up top, we have Richarlison, Neymar, Rafinha, Gabriel Jesus, Anthony Vinicius Jr., Rodrigo, Pedro, and Gabriel Martinelli, who is one of the more surprise inclusions there. I don't think he... Like, I was kind of surprised, but he's playing well for Arsenal right now. Again, like we talked about with Ben White, Arsenal's leading the table in the Premier League. They're playing very, very well. And Roberto Firmino's got left out of the squad, which is one of the surprising exclusions of the team. But they got a very young forward line. Neymar's the elder statesman, and he's only 30. Like, no one else on this front line's over the age of 25. That's insane. You got Richarlison, Rafinha, Gabriel Jesus, and Pedro all at 25. No one else is over, over 25, which is crazy. Like, Gabriel Martinelli's 21. Rodrigo's 21. Vinicius Jr.'s 22. Anthony's 22. And it's just crazy. That's the youthful vigor of this squad is, is nice. It's nice. In Brazil, it's just a really nice squad. It's a really nice squad. So, yeah, they're going to be scary. They're going to be scary. I would like. I would be fine with Brazil winning a World Cup again. I love watching Brazil play. I would love to see Neymar get a World Cup. Because I think if Neymar gets a World Cup, do we start having the conversation of Neymar being the greatest Brazilian player of all time? Do we have start having that conversation now? So, yeah. Fun. Regardless, it's going to be fun. It's actually it's going to be fun. And ESPN FC, they had EA Sports, FIFA, has gone every World Cup winner right since 2010 using FIFA simulations. It is predicted Argentina to win the trophy next month in FIFA 23. And that's my prediction as well. I think the finals, my prediction as well, Brazil versus Argentina. I would love that. I would absolutely love that. The thing that everybody noticed in this wasn't that Argentina won the World Cup. No, 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 no. It's that the U.S. made it to the quarterfinals. And not only did the U.S. make it to the quarterfinals, U.S. won the freaking group. <laughs> U.S. came out on top, and won the group, and then lost to France 1-0, which is just awesome. They beat Senegal 2-1, lost France 1-0. They had England losing, losing to the Netherlands 3-1. We had Argentina beating Denmark. I think the... Uh, the no, okay, the goal's just signaling Argentina. But I know a lot of people are going to really want Portugal versus Argentina. I think that's what a lot of people are wanting, and I'd be for that as well. Neymar, or Messi versus Ronaldo. For one final time, the last time these two will be in a World Cup. I think everybody wants to see that. But yeah, here's the last 16 according to FIFA. Netherlands taking on England. Argentina versus Denmark. USA versus Senegal. France versus Poland. 
Germany versus Belgium, Brazil versus Korea, South Korea, Croatia versus Spain, and Portugal versus Switzerland. And then we have the Netherlands losing to Argentina. We have the United States losing to France. Portugal beating Croatia. And Brazil smashing Germany 3-1. So they won their first two games by a combined score 6-0. So people are like, oh my god, they're they're on a tear. They're on an absolute tear. And then Argentina, they beat France 1-0, beat Brazil 1-0 in the final. Brazil wins 5-4 on penalties against Brazil, or against Portugal. In the semifinals, then France beats Portugal 4-2 in the third place game, and Argentina beats Brazil 1-0. I'm for that. I'm for that. I mean, France has got a tank as well. France has got an absolute unit. I, I'm intrigued on when they're going to announce their squad because that's a deep-ass squad. Like, Brazil's team's deep as hell as well. But France, good God. I'm really intrigued when they're going to announce it. Hugo Lloris is not the same goalie that he once was. He's 35 years old. But he's going to be the captain going into the tournament. But this, the Paul Pogba and Golo Conte aren't going to be in the tournament. They're both out injured. But good Lord, this team's crazy. Seems absolutely crazy. Without them, it's going to be a massive loss without those two. But it's not like they're struggling with the replacements. Like, Arian Chumani from Real Madrid and Eduardo Camavinga, they can both fill those spots as well. And they've got options. Up top, they got the reigning Ballon d'Or winner when Kareem Benzema with Kylian Mbappe, the future Ballon d'Or winner. You got Antoine Griezmann, who's been the vote, the the main guy in the French team for however many years in a row. Usman Dembele from Barcelona. Christopher Nkuku has been balling out for RB Leipzig recently. Like this team's just France is ridiculous. I I have a hard time believing that France is going to miss out. On the, they're not going to make it out of the group. I have an extremely hard time believing France is not going to make it out of the group. I know there's a really long streak of teams that are reigning World Cup champions not making it out of the group, but France is too deep. France got too much squad depth. They could have a mental breakdown like they did in 2010, but I don't see it. I absolutely don't see it. Like that that team is just too crazy. I'm for it though. I'm for it though. I I think that semifinal will be perfect. That would be the greatest, greatest, <laughs> greatest World Cup final semifinal ever. Just those four teams. Argentina, Brazil, Portugal, and France. And there's going to be some team that breaks into there that shouldn't be. Seems like every World Cup, there's one team that should not be mentioned in there. And yet, there they are. I don't know who that team's going to be. I always feel like Denmark's going to be that surprise team. Just what they, just my gut feeling with Denmark. Maybe it's Switzerland. Maybe it's the United States. Who the hell knows? But I'm excited for the World Cup, regardless of where it's at. I was talking to my dad about this today. No matter how corrupt this World Cup is, no matter how... Bush League or how weird this thing is going to be, it's the World Cup, and we'll all forget about it when the World Cup starts. And I'm getting my jersey and sweatshirt in the mail tomorrow. It's a weird time. You have to order a sweatshirt because the World Cup's in November and going into December. So, got to rock a sweatshirt. I have a United States sweatshirt already, but I wanted to get another one as well. Oh, man. But I'm, 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 on, I'm on Twitter right now. One of my friends just sent me a... Y'all overreact by Wilson and Contreras' Instagram story. Act like it's nothing. He just said, someone just said Cardinals. That's it. I, I got to go check this out and see if it's real or not because um, I don't want it to be real. I don't want Wilson Contreras to go to the Cardinals. That, that would be the worst thing that could happen. One of the worst things. I spelled Wilson Contreras. Come on, Wilson. I've got to see if this is true. I've got to see if this is true. Okay, it's not on there. It's not on there. I don't know how long ago that was posted. I'm just gonna pretend I never saw it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna downvote it. I'm gonna go on Twitter. I'm gonna give it a nice 
firm thumbs down emoji. Can I can I do that? I want it on this one. Send an emoji. Thumbs down. Get owned, Noah. So yeah, that's all I've got for you today. I do hope you enjoyed the show. But as as always, if you did not, we'll try to be better next time. We'll have the you know we'll have the um top five quarterback pro or the top ten quarterback prospect rankings for this past week on Friday. Hopefully we'll get that done by then because I'm just too excited for the World Cup. I got a meeting tomorrow, so I don't know if it'll get done tomorrow, but we'll try it. We'll get it out before we'll get it out on Friday. I promise you we'll get it out on Friday. So with that being said, I do hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you enjoyed the United States men's national team squad reveal that we had. And we'll we'll reveal the legit squad tomorrow or tomorrow on Friday's episode. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Make sure you watch on ESPN2 at 4 o'clock on Wednesday. Watch the United States squad reveal. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I don't think there's really going to be any massive surprises, massive exclusions and stuff like that. I think we all kind of have a general grasp of what this squad's going to look like. So don't be upset with the squad. I think we all got to – I think it's going to be fine. I'm excited for this World Cup, and everybody else should be as well. So with that being said, I will see you all later. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And I'll be back to see you guys on Friday. Peace.